Okay, good morning, everyone. We are super glad you're here, whether this is your first time or your 40th time or many more. We are so glad you're here. We are finishing up this storyteller series, which is stories that Jesus shared with his disciples and those around him to teach some valuable points. And so we're, we're going to jump right in this morning. If you have a Bible with you or if you have a, a tablet or phone, I want you to look up here what we're going to be looking at. We're going to see if my... Cl- uh, oh, there we go. There we go. You want to be in Luke 12. Luke 12, 13 through 21. That's where we're going to be. I'm going to be... This, the slides on the screen are going to be New American Standard. So if you're on your phone, you can dial that in. That'd be an option too. Before I jump into that, I'm going to give you a little impromptu summary of uh, what we're doing here these days. Uh, so... I'm the executive pastor here, which means I get the privilege of being involved in all kinds of behind-the-scenes things. One fun thing is that we are working on updating the church. This is our 50 for 50 program. Uh, It's a two-year project to just refresh the campus from from end to end. And we're finally getting to the spot where there's a couple things that are getting done, and there's a lot more to come. But here's D7, uh, one of the adult classrooms, uh, just kind of freshened. It's there. It's ready to go. Uh, There's several other runs that are getting done here in the next couple weeks. Wow, a company we hired to uh, come decorate and to theme out some of the children's areas is coming this week. So lots of things happening. Although like many of your, I don't know if you've ever had a construction project go on, going a little bit slower than we wanted. That's kind of normal, though. Uh, however, the, thankfully, we're also coming in under budget, so that's, a, that's encouraging, too. So projects going on. It's exciting. Uh, we also just finished the end of our fiscal year. That's another thing I get the privilege of working with is our budgets and numbers and finances. And praise the Lord. We, we came in. I haven't looked at Friday's numbers, but as of Thursday, we were about 18000 over budget. Praise God. So I mentioned all those things just to, there is, there's life gone. We are so excited to see what God is doing. Uh, that's true for our church. It's true for us as a family. Uh, just God is at move and God is at work. He's moving. He's, he's sending us out on mission. And we are so excited about that. So let's, let's dive in here to Luke chapter 12 and take a look and see what Jesus has to share. Uh, maybe not around a campfire, but he's sharing with uh, his disciples the story. And before I start, I have a I have this little cartoon here, and if my dad, if you're watching this video later on, I'm sorry, a little close to home, it'll be okay, though. And first hour, my kids were in here, I had to apologize to them, because it was maybe getting a little close to home for them, for what they're going to have to deal with when they get older, because I'm a little bit of a collector myself. We have a problem. As Americans, we have a big problem, and it's called three-car garages. Okay, we don't ever need those. We have too much stuff. It's overwhelming. If you spend some time overseas... Uh, you'll see just how large the scope of the problem that we have is because we don't need this much stuff, folks, okay? We have stuff, and it's important that you just remember that as kind of big-picture funny context for as we dive in here. We, we have a stuff problem, uh, and all Americans, we all have the same thing. Uh, so let's, let's take a look here at the story, and uh, hopefully that'll, you'll see how that fits in here in a second. So Luke 12, starting in verse 13, someone in the crowd said, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And then Jesus replies, Man, who appointed me to be your judge or arbiter over you? Okay? How many, how many folks have ever split up the family inheritance? You know, parents pass away, you're slicing, dicing, all these things. number of people, I've not got to that stage in my life yet, but I hear it's a lot of work uh, to, to sell properties, to get all these things figured out. And just think of what it would have been like in Jesus' time. Put yourself back there in Palestine a couple thousand years ago. There's no stock market. There's no banking system. Uh, you know, you're, you're, there's no electronic checks. Like you're hauling gold coins around your, your properties, and your properties are a big deal. 
this inheritance you'd receive from your parents, we're talking about your means of livelihood. This is your farm. This is where you live. This is how you produce goods. This is everything is wrapped up in this inheritance. It is significant, this question that is being asked of Jesus. It's not like a, a quick little question. This is a hugely, deeply thing. And as much as selling a house here in Corvallis is a large financial transaction, almost guaranteed, but the, the, that land or that inheritance was an epic question for Jesus to be asked. So don't, don't lose the size of the question that he's asking. And then it's interesting, Jesus' response here, and I think it foreshadows the story he's going to tell in many ways. And, and it's really, who is this judge, and why, and who is this person? This is a person from the crowd. It's not one of his disciples. It's, it's someone who would kind of recognize him as a religious leader. It'd be kind of like one of, one of you going to Pastor Mike and saying, hey, work this out with my, my family about this inheritance. And of course, he would say that is a domestic problem, not an ecclesiastical problem. Uh, so, but there, so Jesus is asked this question. So what we have to look at, though, is the response shows two things. One is from a human perspective. No one made Jesus in charge of whether this inheritance should go. So from a human perspective, he has no right or reason to be making a judgment on this. But from, a, from God's perspective, Jesus is the ultimate judge. You look over there in John 5.22, where Jesus, God says Jesus is the judge of the living and dead. He is the judge over all things. And so you have this duality between the human, like, oh, why should that be judged, versus God's perspective, where Jesus is the judge. And that, that tension between those two realities flavors the rest of the story. So remember though that little that tension as we dive into this story here. Uh, Jesus continues as little again the warm up for this story. He said to them, "Beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions." And again, for us as Americans who are, you know, a, a culture, a fabric of our culture is permeated with materialism and greed, we need to be aware. We need to open our eyes and be looking out for it because it is all around us all the time. And not just be aware, like not just our eyes open, but we need to be on our guard. We need to be putting up some guard towers, some defenses. We need to be prepared because the onslaught of materialism is all around us, Okay. And finally, there, there's something about greed and abundance, and when you have more, it's easier to lean into that more. It's harder for a person who doesn't have much to really put a whole lot of value and stock in the fact that they have stuff because they don't have stuff. But those of us who have stuff, it's easier to put the, our value, our identity, our weight into that stuff. And here we are in one of the most uh, wealthy areas of the state of Oregon, which is a very wealthy state in the Union and a very wealthy one of the wealthiest countries on the planet. And so it is very close to us. We have to be on our guard in every way that abundance does not become measure of who we are. And it's really kind of a summary of that whole little passage right there. Life is not measured by how much you own. Okay, you know, you should, you should pull out your phone and put that on Facebook because if you're scrolling through Facebook, you're not going to see that as a message on there. You're going to see lots of folks talking about the cool things we're doing, cool places we're going, this addition to my house, this, this, this. You're never going to see on Facebook, uh, life is not measured by how much you own. It's not coming from our culture. This is a biblical truth that changes how we see things, Okay. Also, just in case you're any millennials here living in your tiny house, you know, you kind of say, oh, yes, materialism, that isn't the answer. You're not also measured by your experiences in your life. You're not measured by what your kids think of you. 
You're not measured by how popular you are. You're not measured by how people are going to remember you. And the story is going to share a little bit about what you are measured by, and it's not any of these external things. Okay, so let's look, about, let's look into the story here. So I'm going to read the story, and we'll come back and process in a little bit more detail. So Jesus tells him a parable. The land of a rich person was very, very productive. And he began reasoning with himself, saying, What shall I do then with all my crops? And then he This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have so many goods. Come, take your ease, rest, eat, drink, and be merry. But God, but God said to them, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, I want to pause and pray for us as we study into this uh, parable. Father God, Lord, thank you for your word, Lord, that we have in our language that we can read and understand truth. Lord, thank you for sharing this story uh, that speaks directly to the culture in which we live. Lord, I just pray as we study it this morning that you would lead us and guide us to truth, Lord, that your spirit would uh, bring up things that are true and would resonate with us, that we would recognize and be able to be on guard and be aware of greed and materialism that's all around us, Lord, that we would be able to live lives that honor you and that glorify you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so Jesus tells this parable about this: the land of a rich man was very productive and began to reason with himself. Sometimes Christians, especially I think in historically, have sometimes had issues with reason. Like there's something wrong with reason. And reason is not a problem. You know, God even says in Isaiah 1 there, come reason with me. God wants us to be thinking about what we're doing. And there's, I think sometimes a, a, a culture says, well, we shouldn't be thinking about it. But really, we should be thinking about what we're doing. We should be processing through. We should be reasoning it through. That being said, had this guy stopped and prayed about what to do with his abundance, not, probably not a bad idea either. So if, if you, you come across abundance, you should be thinking about what you should be doing with it wouldn't be hurting to be praying and asking God, hey, how can I use this abundance? What can I be doing with this? Um, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And abundance in big barns are not necessarily a problem. Think of uh, Joseph in Egypt as an example. He had very, very large barns. He had a storehouse for seven years worth of grain, a lot of storehouse. And God was able to use him to accomplish great and amazing things, namely the saving of Egypt and the saving of the nation of Israel through that storehouse. Large storehouses in abundance are not a problem. In fact, I know many people, whether in this body and elsewhere, who have an abundance and use it for amazing and godly purposes, and God can accomplish great things through that abundance. So it's, this person's problem is not the abundance or the storehouses or even the tearing down of smaller barns to build bigger barns. That's not the problem. The problem comes here in this next little bit. And he says to his, his soul, and don't, don't get tripped up by that, that language, soul and soul. It's really just a, a, this is a very literal translation. The Greek really means myself there. So I will say to myself, uh, you have many goods laid up for, you have goods laid up for many years. Come take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, where, where else is that in the Bible? Where, oh, that's, that's over there in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. Paul exhorts us, if the dead are not raised, then tomorrow we die, so we should eat, drink, and be merry. There's a big deal there. This, person's, this is the question that this person didn't think about, which is, does success in life look any different because of our belief in the resurrection of Jesus? 
it, it radically changes everything. That, that Jesus' death on the cross, him going to the tomb, but that three days later, that Easter message of the resurrection changes everything at that point because we are coming back to life. And it, it, it changes everything. And so that is what this, this person who had great wealth didn't consider. He didn't reason through the resurrection. And it's one thing to have standards or to evaluate, hey, because of the resurrection, I'm going to do things differently. There's also the question of, does my life actually look different? So I can think of, hey, I should do something different, but then is my actions matching that? Does my life look any different because of my belief in the resurrection? And I think it's a great question for us to ask ourselves every once in a while. It's like, hey, am I, am I doing this? Am I living in light of eternity? Am I living in light of the resurrection? So then God's response to this man you fool, this very knife, your soul is required of you. And again, not to get tripped up on words, that soul is really just life. Um, his li- he's going to die. This is the night that he's, been, uh, he's passing away. And now who's going to own all this stuff? Um, and you see, here on earth, stuff doesn't last. Whether that's, whether that's the iPhone X, whether that is your house, the boat, the materials, all the stuff we see, this building... It's all going to pass away. It's not going to stay around. There's only one thing on this planet that's going to stick around. People. The souls are people. People will be raised. We live in light of a resurrection, and it changes everything. So the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God, if you don't get to keep it, is it really reasonable to store it up? If we don't keep things, is it really reasonable to store it up? There's a very famous quote by Jim Elliott, a, a missionary who gave this life down in South America as he was going out to reach out to a, a tribe of folks who were cannibals. And so he laid his life out doing that. And, but he had a very append a, an article that talked about, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that he cannot lose. So we have an opportunity to invest in something that is eternal, that we have a, there is something that lasts and that is being rich with God, being aligned, aligned in purpose, in mission with God. So, how, so that, this whole passage really begs the question, well, then how does someone become rich with God? And within the story, there's not an answer to that question. It, it, it presents the problem, but not the solution. So we'll have to look. I want to reason with you for a moment uh, what it would look like to become rich with God. Okay, so here's here's the first question: is to be to be rich with God. What what does God value? What does that look like? And I'm I'm going to do something just a slightly different. I want actually want to hear from a couple of you guys. What are some things? What does God value? People, other things, worship, His Word, love. I think those are all great answers. Those are all things that God definitely values. He appreciates that those, and that we see that in his word all the way through. So the second question is, what did God invest in? What does God invest in? Thoughts? Say a little louder. I heard people over here. Definitely invest in people. Other things? He is creation, invested in the creation of this world. Absolutely. What are some other things God invested in? His church. All true. Absolutely true. I think the, the biggest investment that God ever made 
was when God paid for sin, that God sent his only son, and he made that investment uh, so that people could be in a relationship with him. That was God's biggest investment. Uh, So this is what God values. I think we see very clearly from Scripture, people coming to know him. That is what is on God's heart. That is where God wants to see us investing in. And that, that flows out into many things about us. And even here, look at our, our Northwest Hills mission statement. Our passion is to love our neighbors and learn together how to know and live like Jesus. Look at that. It's our neighbors coming to know Jesus. Our, our mission is aligned with God's passion, with God's uh, mission and direction for all of humanity. That His values, his investment, we, we're right in line with that. And I would encourage you, as you're looking at your own life, what am I investing in? What am I doing? Am I aligned with God's mission and purpose, his values. That's how you become rich with God is when your alignment with his values match yours. Uh, a couple other passages. The Bible talks a lot about investing, and, and so we're, in addition to this story, I want to bring up just a couple little parallel passages for your consideration. Uh, the first one is Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where ma- moth, ooh, moth, and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in or steal. We have an opportunity to store up something in heaven that we cannot store up here on earth. And I'm not a big fan of alliteration, but there's uh, there's this classic Christian um, taught uh, alliteration of your time, talent, and treasures being the three things that we can invest, that we can contribute, that we can do with our lives, that we have an opportunity to figure out where are we going to make these investments. So I want to just briefly run through a couple examples in these three areas as kind of to provoke some thought in terms of where, where are we investing that lines up with God's mission. So the first is time, and we, have, we, have a, we don't have as much time as you think. You know, if you blink once and your kids become elementary age, and you, I'm kind of afraid of blinking again because they're going to be college age, but time goes quickly. And you can see that. Here's, here's this chart. This is from a, a TED Talk on procrastination, which I'm a little bit of a procrastinator, but each of those boxes represent one week of a person's 90 years of living. So this is an Esther Jab's worth of life. Um, <laughs> so every box, so this, this is a week, is right here, one little box. What's amazing about this little chart here so you can see it, like it's finite. You could, you could print that thing out and every week check a box off. And that's all the life you have is those boxes right there. It, it goes quick. It's not a lot of it. What are, you check, what are you putting in that box this week? What's going in? You have 40 hours of work. You got some sleep, some eating. Where are you investing your time? It's a finite resource. You don't have nearly as much as we sometimes think we have challenge you to invest your time into things that are aligned with God's mission and purpose so that we would be rich with him. Okay? Uh, I have an example of that I want to bring up. Heather Doty. I think you're here this morning. One, two, ooh, I don't have a mic. We need, we need Pastor Mike's mic right here. This is the only one that works we've well established. Okay, here we go, Heather. So there's an example, and there's so many examples we could talk about of how to invest your time, but here's one that's happening right now. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, so uh, we know God wants to reach the nations, and you don't have to go overseas to reach the nations and to share God's love because the nations have come to Corvallis. And there are um, literally thousands of international students and scholars studying and doing research here. And in September, um, 
hundreds of new ones arrive. And so Friends of Internationals, which is um, FOI, is like Love, Inc. Many of you are familiar with Love, Inc. have Love, Inc. partners with um, local churches to fill needs in the community. And Friends of Internationals partners with local churches um, to bridge, uh, working to build bridges between local churches and internationals in the community. And FOI um, used to have something called the Furniture Giveaway, which many of you were involved in, and they have since replaced it with the Welcome Basket Project. And the Welcome Basket um, Outreach is um, a way to welcome internationals to the community and also kickstart one-on-one relationships. And these internationals are coming here, they're excited, but they're nervous, and they would love to meet Americans. They'd love to have, um, you know, a family or a couple or some friends adopt them um, and check in on them and invite them to dinner and what have you. So let me tell you how it works. Um, The week of September 10th is uh, orientation for international students at OSU, and during that week there'll be a booth that FOI will um, have that international students can come up to and sign up to receive a welcome basket, and they give information about themselves and where they live, whether they're in an apartment or a dorm or what have you. And, um, and so then, meanwhile, um, churches like ours, um, people can sign up to create and deliver the welcome baskets. And um, the, then FOI will match the, the volunteers with the, um, international students, and you'll connect with them and deliver it um, a basket and, um, and start a conversation. And we've had community groups and couples and families in this church that have gone on to have you know, multi-year um, relationships uh, with um, these international students and made a huge difference in their lives. And so um, anyway, if that sounds exciting to you and you want to know what you can put in a basket and how you can get involved, come see me in the lobby at the table. Okay. Thanks, Heather. Would you give her a round of applause? I, I could parade up a whole, you know, a dozen different things that are happening here in Corvallis, here at our church, of in people investing their time to build relationships with people that are aligned with God's mission. And so I just want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to invest your time in a way that is honoring to God and to build those relationships. One, one example. Okay, so the first thing is our investing our time. The second thing is investing our talent. And God gives us all spiritual gifts that match up to the ministry that he has called us to in ministry, but he's also given us natural abilities. You, you might be athletic, you might be super sharp, so you're born with some abilities. You've also been, you've been trained. You know, you've gone to engineering school, you've become a nurse or a doctor or a teacher, and there's, there's all, all sorts of training that has gone in. So you have a collection of skills and abilities, and they're needed, they're important. Uh, Jesus uh, tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. If you ask any of your missionaries, hey, should I support you or would you like me to come help you? Every single one of them would say, let me come help you. And let me explain a reason why. You could round up all the missionaries who are serving all across the globe that are sent out from the United States. They'd all fit in Reeser Stadium. There's not like a huge, huge number. It's just kind of, we worked for one of the largest mission agencies uh, when we were working overseas. And the, there's the list of jobs they have is, is huge, you know, all around the world. And obviously, Bible teaching, Bible translation, there's opportunities for that. But there's a lot of opportunities for other things, too, whether it is, you know, being a mechanic, whether it is communications, teachers, teachers, teachers all over the globe, uh, law, technology. The technologists of the largest mission agencies, they would all fit in this room. There's probably more techie people in this room right now than work for some of the large mission agencies, and it makes a huge difference. 
a, a, a translation project of translating the Bible from learning the language and culture all the way to having a New Testament in that language used to take 30 years, and now it takes less than 15 because of computers, databases, and all these various things that we, or the techie folks here, are, are used to dealing with. And so these skills and abilities, if you're able to invest them and partner them, you can accomplish great and amazing things. And I want to give you a little personal challenge. It is quite possible for a person, to, and I can tell you from personal experience, to take a great engineering job and leave it and go where God has asked you to go and to make a huge impact using whatever gifts and talents he's given you. It's possible to do. It's not easy. And oftentimes it works like this. You, you serve in a small area, in a local church or here in, in Corvallis, and you serve the small area and you're faithful in that, and then God opens up to a larger area of responsibility where you can serve and grow. And, and as to the extent that we are like Isaiah and say, here I am, send me, God can send you and utilize your gifts. But you have an intentional choice to make is, am I going to choose to invest my talents in kingdom work all around the world, starting here and going out to the ends of the earth? You have an opportunity. You have an investment choice of how you're going to invest Okay. Now, the third one, so we talked about time, we talked about talent. This third one is treasure. And, uh, you know, people speaking about money at church is always a little bit of a nervous topic for folks. Uh, so I want to ca- caveat this with a couple things. We're doing well financially. We just mentioned that. So there's, this is not motivated by, hey, we need some money. We don't. We're doing good. Uh, although we're trying to be good stewards of what the Lord has provided. My, my, one of my, my jobs, my occupation here is to stu- be a good steward of our resources that we pool together as a church body to make the most impact. And I work very, very diligently to try to maximize the impact that we get as a ministry through the resources God provides. So I think the church is a great area to invest in. We're working very hard to maximize our impact in the community. But that's not why I'm mentioning this. I'm mentioning this because this passage is talking about where are we investing. And money is a, is a big deal. And so I tried to think through what would be a good example, what would challenge people to think about where are we investing our finances part of what God's provided for us. So here's the question I came up with. And I had to check myself a little bit when I asked this question uh, before I asked you, which is, where do I invest more in my retirement, my employer's contributions, my stock options, my IRAs, my IRAs, all these things? Am I investing more into that than what I do giving? And what does that say about my own internal standards about what's going to last forever, what's valuable, what's important. And I, I, don't, I don't say this as, hey, this is what it should be. In fact, I think in the, in the age of grace in which we live, there's no number. There's no magic percentage. There's no magic amount. The Bible's only statement to us is that you should live generously and sacrificially. That's the instruction that we get to the church. And so the, the exact details are up to him and up to you to work through with the Lord. But just as a way of challenging, I'd ask you to think about what are we investing in? Are we investing in things that are going to last forever or not? Are we aligned with his kingdom purposes such that a judgment will be found as someone who's rich in God? Okay? Uh, so I'd like to invite the, the worship band to come back up. Uh, just this, this whole idea, life is not measured by how much you own. Life is not measured by these externals. They are measured by our alignment with God's purpose in God's kingdom, uh, this eternal mindset, it's really living in light of the resurrection. Living in light of the resurrection. That is what we are called to do, and that is what Jesus is asking us to do in this passage, is live in light of eternity. So I'm going to pray, 
And uh, these guys will be ready to go. Father God, Lord, thank you so much for your word, Lord, that we have it, that we can read and understand. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for my family. I pray for this church. Lord, that we would be a people who are focused on you. We are focused on your purpose. We are focused on your kingdom. And you are leading and guiding us in a way that we can be effective to reach people, people whom you love, people whom you've invested in. So Lord, I just pray that you would guide us as a church, guide us as families, as individuals, Lord, that we would be ready to be used by you to change this world for your kingdom. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.